This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Today's episode is brought to you by Fox and Stallion. Fox and Stallion is a Victorian mystery comedy fiction podcast about the best detective team on Baker Street. No, not that one. Season 2 will be airing in 2024 and is currently crowdfunding through May 1st. They have stickers, personalized in-universe thank you letters with wax seal, calligraphy, and all of it, and even a tier where they solve a mystery that you send them. Uh, They do want me to note Fox and Stallion cannot guarantee the solving of any mysteries, but they will try their absolute hardest for three to five audio minutes. This show also has everything you could want. Jewel heists, asexual detectives, lavender marriages, and a really old cat. You can find and listen to Fox and Stallion anywhere you listen to podcasts or on their website, 224bbaker.com. That's 224bbaker.com. This episode of Our Fair City is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad. Please enjoy the show. Hello, Loyal Policies. We are Heart Life, the creators of Our Fair City, and we're here to answer your questions. For the past several days, we've been collecting your queries from Facebook and Tumblr and Twitter and email, and we'll be answering them live, mostly improvised, for you. My name is Lauren Fates. I am the HeartLife Community Manager, and joining me are... Uh, I'm Ansel Birch. I'm the narrator. Uh, I was also a writer on season one. I'm Jeffrey Gardner, and I'm the executive producer. I'm DJ Catnip, and I'm the sound engineer and resident DJ. I'm Betsy Palmer. I'm the director of live engagements. And I'm Clayton Fates, creative director for Our Fair City. Smiladon Meow asks... Chamberlain seemed convinced that Upstairs watched the video feeds of everything Tunnel Policies did. And, of course, these are true dramatizations. So, Board of Directors, who are your ships? I think we mean romantic ships. This, yes. Not like the USS Farragut that, you know. <laughs> so I, I can't answer this question. I can't answer this question because ultimately this is, I, 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 get, I get to do that. If I ship two characters, I get it to. It happens. Yeah, I don't, I don't have like sole dictatorship over that. But I you know, ultimately get the go, no go. And if I want two people to be together, I can bang them together like action figures until. <laughs> I, you know, I, some of my favorite relationships in the show, I, you know, I, I love Herbert and Elizabeth. I think that they need, they need each other to soften their rough edges. You know, I, I think that they're better together than they are apart. And, and that to me is uh, lovely. And I, you know, I love especially, I, you know, I don't think that they liked each other at first. I don't think that they, they necessarily knew or, or instantly gelled. That sort of love at first sight is a little bit saccharine. But as they, as they grew together and, and, and found those areas where they could shore each other's weaknesses up, I don't know, I, I, I like that relationship a lot. You know, you can contrast it a little bit with Andrew Snidge and, and Cassie, who do have that, you know, puppy love. I, I like that too. I like that the world fits both of those things. But you know, they're they're some of my favorite couples. I think that the ship that I, I have that will never be is uh, Herbert West and Emily Caligari. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I have yeah. a feeling there are a lot of listeners who ship that one. I just want to hear them like I just want to hear them argue. 
It, it's almost about like dealing yourself, stuff. though, isn't it? You don't I want to, I want to like have a, a fly on the wall perspective of them planning a wedding together, their wedding together, you know, and just listen to them argue about what that is going to be. No, Emily, it has to be teal. <laughs> I think the one that I was the saddest to see not go was um, Neil Henderson and Dora. Mm. I was oh, really yeah. into that as a pair. Yeah. But yeah, like they were two people that like kind of never quite fit anywhere, and they finally find someone that they might fit in with, and then we kill them. Why are you looking at me? <laughs> you said you banged him into the ground with an action figure. Dude, you stepped on the action figure, didn't yeah. you? Uh, I absolutely know who my ship is. It's Flint and Roman. Uh, yeah! <laughs> yeah. It's Flint and Roman. It's not just because Clayton and I play them. Um, I, I miss you, Roman. <laughs> oh, Flint. No, I, I, I love those two characters, and I love um, just the weird juxtaposition of these gangsters who have all of these weird, odd jobs and are, like, very loving to each other and really everyone who doesn't piss them off that they encounter who are just these, like, sweet, helpful people who also, like, break legs no matter what job you give them. <laughs> I don't know. But primarily break the legs of people who are rude. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I don't I don't think this was in mind when these characters were created, but Jeffrey has a t-shirt that he still sometimes wears. And I think it's a 12-year-old, like, ragtag, you know, just tattered thing at this point. But it says on the front, please don't be my obstacle. And I feel like that's Flint and Roman's whole philosophy. Uh -huh. you know? <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. The ship that was always in my head was my uh, never-been-in-the-show social media character, B.B. Sloan, and Charlie Wynn. And I hoped someday she could be in the show and smooch him, and then he died. The end. Ashley the Dragon asks, to whom it may concern, what procedure and or departments in heart life take care of approved offspring in the unlikely event their family unit dies and or disappears? This question assumes that these are loyal policies and not parental units found to be unsuitable for childcare due to high variance scores. Yours faithfully, Ashley. The department that handles misplaced children, children that don't have uh, uh, parents that are alive or able to care for them is the misplaced urchin rearing department for expired residents. They take care of any child that is not able to be raised by their biological parents for reasons of fitness or death. I, I would say rather than biological parents, assigned parents, because yeah. a lot of the times uh, with heart life, I think you maybe have one set of biological parents who are, you know, like selected by heart life to um, produce an ideal policy, but they would not be good at raising that child. And so you transfer that policy to an approved child rearing person. So do these orphan children get transferred to fit child rearing couples or is there like a floor on the tower that's just full of babby? Uh, I think probably both. I think yeah. there's probably there are probably warrens of young policies. The <laughs> uh, holding I, I area. I got the feeling that birth rates were pretty low in the city, both because of limited resources and space, and also because of the harsh penalties for unapproved progeny. Mm. So the birth rate is what the company wants it to be. Yeah, uh, within a pretty small variance. Well, so the thing the thing to remember, I think, is that is that everyone and everything in Heart Life is a resource for the company, and belonging to the company. And children are no exception. And so, if that resource is best allocated to a couple that will be able to rear that child and, and foster an individual identity for that child, that's great. But if that child is unsuited for that kind of parenting, then they'll certainly be put into a, I love the term Warren. 
<laughs> you know, where they're going to be raised in a group environment, and maybe they're going to go and they're going to work on a team. It's I think be our probably a lot of a lot of lightning riggers come out of like a group rearing scenario like mm -hmm. that, where they're sort of taught to be a part of a crew from sure. an early time. Mm -hmm. sure. That's interesting. You know, so you're raised in a way that makes the most sense based on your projections, and I mean that comes. I remember being uh, uh, so so young. It's one of my earliest memories. I, I took a, an aptitude test. I think to get into a preschool, something like that. I remember a yellow rubber shark eraser that I had to talk about and describe my feelings towards. <laughs> which you know, I, you know, but that was an aptitude test. And I don't know how you in in reality tell whether so this a kid's kid, going to be a doctor. Or this kid's going to be a at clown. age two. But I think heart life can or yeah. thinks that they can. They've been yeah. working on it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. tough men. Well, so that does that does bring us back to the issue of what happened with Nathan Rourke? Like, why was he left in a home where he he was clearly rebelling and like not following the rules, and his mom is not, as we open the show, not capable of of bringing him back into line. Well, so remember, it's not just about the policy, the the productivity of the future policy. It's also about making sure Elizabeth Rourke remains a productive member of society. And you know, if they look. We, um, she's clearly got deviant tendencies. Sure, sure. Well, we know that she has been potentially involved in deviant behavior, or, or certainly her husband has been involved in deviant behavior in the past, for which he is no longer in the picture. Uh, and so maybe, like having this, re they've you know, the actuaries have run the numbers, and they have realized that if we keep Nathan in this household, we will maybe keep Elizabeth work productive or maybe not a threat to the company. I'll also point out that Nathan Rourke is aspiring when we pick it up to be a part of the Science Academy and it's only recently that he's gotten his test scores that do not allow him to pursue his ambition. And so his rebellious tendencies are incited by that occurrence. Mm. Interesting. You know, yeah. he's not he's not just a rebellious kid. He's not just got a chip on his shoulder. He only becomes that when he's denied his his personal ambitions at the, you know, mm -hmm. to the benefit of the company. Uh, from Smilodon Meow. I loved the sound effects episode, especially finding out what strange things get turned into the sounds I hear. Any favorites for things that you used for sound effects that I wouldn't expect to be that sound? My favorite sound effect that is unexpected is Ryan Sheely's son as the ant. And that scream, correct me if I'm wrong, that scream is, is his first sound made on the planet. Some of the really early sounds of this tiny human being a tiny ant, and the second that I heard that sound, I squeed with joy. <laughs> I talked about that one at the library. We were speaking at a library recently, and I just love it so much. It's my favorite, too, because it's a compliment in that case to say that your child sounds just like a horrid abomination. <laughs> like, good job, baby, you sound the worst. We're gonna use you. <laughs> what I actually, I do think there is some sort of subconscious, like the ant screams are so like, and I think it has to do with that kind of like built in, like some, the baby needs care thing <laughs> that is like layered into that. Absolutely. Everyone's wrong. fear, caring for babies. Yes. Reptilian brain is alive and well and you hear that sound and you just have to make it stop. <laughs> I would also like to talk about the things that aren't sound effects that you might be surprised by. Uh, Mark Soloff as Dr. Morrow can in fact do the cadence of like an old 90s computer speech modulator just on his own. Mm -hmm. We don't do that for him. 
and some of the other ant sounds there was like three of us that ryan sheely taught to do that like predator noise in the back of your throat and that's just us that's i can try hold on I'm a little dry, but that's that's it in the back. <laughs> it did sound super creepy. It is. I mean, for the live stuff, the mold mm. is a winner every time. Like, people just love fart noises. There's no way around it. So it's uh, like Gak. Gak from your childhood is what it is exactly like. Uh, we have made it primarily out of a combination of glue and borax and water. Um, which was a science experiment once upon a time that we discovered made awesome noises. Bella Necra asks us, Hey, so I have a question. Whatever happened to Nathan Rourke? I don't remember him dying, but I don't think we've heard from him in a couple of seasons. Was I just not paying enough attention? So I, actually, I'm really glad you asked about Nathan Rourke. Uh, we, we offer free content via the podcast, but we also offer content in other media that we can't, we can't do. You know, via iTunes. Uh, one of those things we offer, we offer, I think, five now volumes of a, a graphic novel series that tells extended stories featuring some of the characters from the podcast and some characters that are original. Uh, you can buy them on our website if you visit OurFairCity.com, and you can actually read a lot of comics for free, although the one featuring Nathan, I've, I've just been informed, is in one of the volumes that you can purchase. I'll tease, though, that uh, uh, Nathan Rourke does make an appearance uh, in the the upcoming season that we'll be releasing later in 2016, and everything's fine with him. Uh, oh my God, my favorite name, <laughs> my favorite name ever, Snail Army what? would like to know first favorite line from the podcast. Uh, what is it, Andrew? Uh, you know, remember when I told you? Um... The one about you're not really doing yeah, if you're not in danger if you're not in danger of destroying everything you love, you're not really, really doing, doing science. science. Mm -hmm. yep. Yes. Well, I was really doing science. <laughs> I just love that, that exchange. One. Do you remember when I taught you that if you aren't constantly in danger of obliterating everything you know, you aren't really doing science? Yeah. I was really doing science. One of my favorites came from the live show that we did this summer, actually, which was uh, something along the lines of uh, we're, we're human resources, we're the humans, and they're the resources, which yep. I really enjoyed. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. My favorite comes from a piece of Arthur City Apocrypha. Jim McDonnell, one of our writers, did a fantastic adaptation of War of the Worlds set in the universe of Our Fair City. And Dr. Herbert West is at the kind of the end of it. I'll spoil the ending. He's standing over uh, uh, one of these invading aliens, and he's about to vivisect this alien in a pretty vicious, you know, way. And the alien burbles something in a foreign eldritch alien language. And uh, uh, Herbert West looks down and says, oh, no, 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 monster is such a strong word. Call me Herbert. Dora had a line to Simon that was, you promised you wouldn't creep on me. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's not, we can't do it because it's in yeah. the delivery of the actor who's not here, but it's, I enjoyed that more than I expected to. I enjoyed that more than I expected to. I also like just lines that reveal something about the world. One of my side characters is Limey the Mole, and when I discovered that Limey refers to her own clothing as Mulverals, <laughs> <laughs> and just just it's 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 delivered without irony 
and it's said by I think multiple characters, and so that's just part of the lore now. Like moles wear mulveralls. That's, that's what they're called. And it's just a little bit of storytelling that happens when someone just does a quick bit. Now it's that forever. Another question from Snail Army: What are your favorite mid-season specials? So the things we do outside of the official canon episodes. Silence of Babel. That's my favorite. Uh, mostly because it's a really intimate experience to listen to, but accesses a lot of the, like, I don't know, I can't listen to it without squirming. Like, it's real creepy. Yeah. Runs up the back of your spine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think the original Exclusion Day uh, episode is my favorite. Um, yes. It gave us this beautiful mythology that we don't usually access in the show um yeah we we talked a lot about how how they would deal with religion and how they would deal with like their creation myth um but this this is just this beautiful like clearly this is the mythology of this world and how the rest of the mythology must scan and i think it gives it gives a sense of the like the history and the pervasiveness of the Heartland Corporation's like control and the 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 degree to which they've created a narrative for these people. The one we did live, all sitting together in the apartment. I think that was my favorite project. Uh, not necessarily off of like <clears throat> quality of audio or anything, but I think it was really a beautiful light into our process and our relationships with one another. And people could hear us laugh when we would blow lines, and people could hear, uh, you know, people in the background as we like ate and drank and enjoyed one another. And I think it said a lot about our company while still telling a story. Someone should call that. I just, I love the Archibald Funny Pants Variety Hour because oh. it it grew out of a throwaway joke. <laughs> so, some character dashed off, "Oh, well, you're a regular Archibald Funny Pants." So it was just as an insult, and I think we we from that yeah. decided we had to make has to now that's a character. It had to be a real person. It, it became now. this huge evolving, um, not only like live show, but then like the idea that Archibald Funny Pants was a job in Heart Life, and there had been many Archibald Funny Pants. It's a title, not a name. A yeah, I don't think a lot yet. of listeners know that because we sort of established that through a live show with a female Archie. But it is a title. Loyal Policies, this is executive producer Jeffrey Gardner. Thank you so much for joining us. You've just listened to the first of three sessions of us answering your mail. Stay tuned next time for more listener questions for the creators of Our Fair City. If you've got questions for us, feel free to send them in through Twitter at OFC Radio, through Tumblr at theboardofdirectorslovesyou.tumblr.com, or through email at contact at ourfaircity.com. Now, we are hard at work editing season seven of Our Fair City. Look for an update on when we'll be launching the new season very soon. If you've enjoyed the show, we need your support. We are dedicated to always releasing Our Fair City entirely for free, accessible to as many people as possible on the internet. But making audio drama can be very expensive. It takes roughly 10 hours of labor to create one finished minute of our story. And we want to do what we can to reward the incredible actors, sound designers, and artists who create the world of heart life. To do that, we need your help. By going to OurFairCity.com and clicking on the donate link, you can make a tax-deductible donation to Heartlife NFP and join the ranks of fantastic loyal policies like John McLean and others who have already stepped up to help us. You can also visit our web store at OurFairCity.com store where you can find t-shirts, comics, prints, and more. 
Every sale goes directly towards ensuring that we can continue making our fair city for you. Thank you all so much for your continued support of this project. And as always, we'll see you in the tunnels. The Fable and Folly Network, where fiction producers flourish. In the year 1889, there was nowhere in the world more exciting than London, England. Three cheers for Inspector Lestrade and the bad boys of Baker Street themselves, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. John Watson! Solved by Sherlock Bloody Holmes of 221B Baker Street. Well, with any luck, we'll get a new brutal murder any day now. God, I wish. It's truly shocking you haven't solved anything in five years. The boys are both out of town for some case about a dog in Dartmoor this weekend. Sincerely, Martha Hudson. London's number two detective team just became number one. Fox and Stallion. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Tumblr at 224BBaker or on our website 224BBaker.com. It's like they say, big breaks are 90% luck. What's the other 10%? Luck.